We are live on the Happy Endings podcast. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm Chris Joseph. I'm author of Life is a Ride, My Unconventional Journey of Cancer Recovery. And I am really pleased to have joined me today, Stephanie McCarthy, who is from the Pacific Northwest. Um, as you'll learn more when we talk, Stephanie is a five and a half year cancer, and I'm going to use both words, survivor slash thriver, um, which is a few months longer than me. Um, uh, we met on, we actually haven't met in person, but we um, met on Zoom in the Portland Pan Can group. I guess that's what it's called, right? Pancreatic yeah. Cancer Group, for those yeah. of you who don't know what Pan Can is. Um, thank you. Well, thank you for having me here with you today, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, so let's start off by talking about how your cancer journey started and what was it like when you first got diagnosed? Well, like many people that I've spoken to, uh, it was quite a journey to be diagnosed. I had a lot of vague symptoms that were continually dismissed for quite a long time as I had just moved to Southern Oregon and had not established care with a regular primary care physician. So I was stuck going to the urgent cares. And when I finally did get to see my new primary care physician for the first time and told her what was going on, she sent me for an ultrasound and some blood work. Uh, my blood work was normal. My tumor marker never went above 24, 25, which is considered normal. And, uh, but a mass showed up on my pancreas. And so um, then came the biopsies, which came back negative. So I was running around going, whoa, what a relief. I, that was my brush with cancer. I want to ask you something just to clarify. What were your symptoms that you were having early on? Oh, I was just, I was nauseous after I ate. I was tired. I did not lose weight. I did not get jaundiced. Um, I just had some vague pain in that upper left quadrant of my stomach and some nausea, and, um, but it didn't feel right and it wasn't going away. So that's why I pursued uh, talking to doctors about it. Um, after that negative biopsy, I was so relieved, but I followed up on my doctor's suggestion to see a gastroenterologist and he came into the room and said, I don't care what else is going on. I want to take another look at that mass on your pancreas. So he did the endoscopic ultrasound biopsy. And of course, that turned out positive. So it was about two months from the time that the mass was found until the time it was actually diagnosed and another six weeks after that before I had surgery. So I'm going to ask you the dumbest interview question ever. Okay. Were you scared? I was, I was horrified. Um, I, you know, the usual fear, dismay, um, some, some relief to finally know what was going on, that it wasn't all in my head, that I wasn't crazy, um, that I actually had a diagnosis because then I could have a plan to, to know what to do. Um, so that was how I found out that I had it. Once um, I got to see a surgeon up here in Portland, they decided to do a distal pancreatectomy, which is to remove the tail of the pancreas and my spleen, which was a surprise to me. I didn't know I was going to lose my spleen in the process, but apparently there are uh, arteries and veins that run through 
the pancreas uh, to the spleen and they don't want to take the risk of any little cells remaining. So they took that all out. Uh, when I woke up, I found out that I had stage 2B um, pancreatic cancer. I was in the hospital for about nine days. And uh, after that, and about six weeks later, I started chemo, which I had weekly for six months. And since then, knock on wood, everything's been clear. I want to talk a little bit more about the chemo in a second. Um, Did you choose to go public early on with your diagnosis? Um, Just a few people, a few select people I told. My dad was still alive. He was in his late 90s and he was 3,000 miles away. And at that point in his life where he was anxious and nervous about so many things, and I didn't want to add to that. So I didn't not go. I didn't go public on Facebook or Instagram or with all of my family groups on there, and so I just kept it to a few people. My sister knew about it, um, and a couple of my close friends. My son, of course, but that was it. And you said I want to circle back to the chemotherapy. Um, you said first you had surgery; they removed yeah. some of the tail of the pancreas. Then you had chemo, but how how long did you say the chemo was? I had six months of chemo. I had gemcitabine. Yeah. I talked to a naturopath, uh, two naturopathic doctors actually, um, about whether chemo was the right path for me. And both of them said, you only get one chance to have stage two pancreatic cancer. And they recommended that I go with the standard of care to get the chemotherapy. And they gave me um, some herbs and um, I don't even remember what they were, various mushroom things to enhance um, and help me feel better from the side effects. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Well, it wasn't actually a good thing. One of the powders contained a lot of uh, mushrooms And later I found out that the reason I hated that, that I felt terrible was I'm actually allergic to those mushrooms. So um, yeah, so I didn't take them for too long because I felt like they made me feel worse. And it turns out there was a reason for that. So So you stopped taking them? I stopped taking the mushrooms. I continued the other things. How was your, I assume it was an oncologist. How was your oncologist? Did he or she know that you were consulting with the naturopath doctors? Yes, they did. And they said, um, as long as I didn't feel worse, and as long as it wasn't um, anything that would thin the blood or, you know, cause any bruising of the veins while they're giving me uh, chemo, none of those type of herbs, but they were okay with it. Uh, They just wanted to be sure that I continued with the gemcitabine with the regular chemo. And how did you do on the chemo? I mean, I, you uh, know, we, we all have different reactions, right? Yes, um, yes. Um, well, you know, there were ups and downs. Um, I felt like I was exhausted the first two days, first about 36 hours afterwards. And so I allowed myself that time to just crash and allowed myself time to rest. Um, the days that I felt better, I got out and uh, participated in life. So I felt like um, I compartmentalized those chemo days and I just kind of went home and grabbed my dog and got under the covers and stayed there. I was alone. I didn't have anyone with me. The first couple of times I got a ride from some friends, but I convinced them to let me drive since it was only 10 minutes. 
to home. And so I just, I did it all by myself. I had some friends stop by with soup a couple of times, a few meals, um, a little bit of visits, but I felt better on my own. So um, I just kind of powered through that. I, um, some of the downs of chemo were as the treatment progressed, I had some side effects, some neuropathy, um, a little bit more increased nausea. Um, what I learned though, is that I went to my chemo appointment with my oncologist every week. And he said, well, how did you do last time? And I said, well, I felt awful, but here I am ready for the next one. I just put that behind me. And I, it wasn't until I was chatting with the nurse who was putting my infusion in and she was talking to me about side effects. And I said, gosh, I just have the worst headache and the nausea is horrible. And she said, oh, honey, we have better drugs than this. She said, you have to tell us these things. So she switched up my cocktail of anti-nausea drugs and it made a huge difference. And I wish I had spoken to her earlier or, and I wish that I had just said to the doctor, you know, I get these horrible headaches afterwards. And uh, rather than saying, okay, that was it. It was bad. I'm better now. Let's do it. So. It's a good lesson for all of us though, right? To, right. to try, it's hard. I mean, cause you're doing your thing, right? but just to be communicative with your medical providers. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I forgot to do that a lot, so I yeah. can understand. Well, it's such a stressful thing to even go into the um, chemotherapy infusion center anyway. Um, so everything is about get it done, get it out of here, you know, get me out of here, just get it in, let send me home. I don't want to be here. So uh, but I was glad that I talked to her and she was able to help me get through the rest of it. Uh, so I want to preface the next question by telling our listeners, I mean, everyone I think knows that pancreatic cancer, uh, people statistically don't live long. I mean, you and I are the anomalies. Um, but I think the number, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think that 70% don't last past a year. Mm. And to make it to five years, it's like 10, maybe it's just gone up to 11%, something like yes. that. Yes, um, it has just gone up to 11% uh, survival rate for five years. I don't know what the one-year survival rate is off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 70. But you know, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is because I'm fascinated by, originally I was thinking about doing it just about pancreatic cancer, but now of course it's expanding mm -hmm. in other areas. But I'm so curious those 10 or 11% who make it five years or longer, what did they do? Right. What did they do? So what do you think in your particular case, what do you think you did that propelled you to not just surviving, but thriving? We're going to talk more about that language yes. in a couple of minutes. Yes. Um, well, I feel like um, I was, if I was given the gift of more time, you know, at the time of my diagnosis, I didn't know which number I was going to fall into, whether I would live or, or not. Even after my surgery, after, during the chemo, I didn't know if it would come back right away or not at all. Um, but I felt like if I was given the gift of more time that I would live every moment as much as I could uh, to enjoy every beautiful sunset, every leaf, and it sounds so trite, but to just take that, those few moments to <clears throat> absorb the beauty that is all around us, even in, in times of strife, um, to, to open my eyes just a little wider when I looked at the spring and let all those colors flood in and all the sensations and the smells and just to really open up all of those five senses 
and to move my body as much as possible. I've always enjoyed dancing and I danced my way through chemo, even on the days when I felt horrible. Um, if I could get up out of bed and make my way to a class, I might not have participated fully all out dancing. I might have been sitting in a chair just moving my arms. I might have been lying on the floor during a yoga class doing nothing, but I was there and I was there with that spirit of community and love around me. Um, and I really felt that and I feel like that helped me so much. Um, Do you think, I, I love hearing that. Do you think you just somehow inherently knew to, knew to do that or, or you wanted to do it <laughs> or did someone give you that advice? How, how does that um, work? Well, so my sideline, I was a NIA teacher uh, for a number of years. I'm a black belt in NIA. And that is very much about the mind, body, spirit connection and listening to the voice of the body and what brings pleasure and joy and noticing the sensation of joy and then expanding that. So if I'm walking around and I say, oh, it feels really good to move my shoulders today, I enjoy that shoulder movement. And then I say, well, how can I make that feel a little better? And just, it's called dancing through life. And I feel like though that training really set me up for success with everything I was going through. Um, it's a martial arts type belt system uh, with different lessons for each belt. And, um, and I really feel that that helped me so much. I have no doubt that it helped <laughs> you. Um, and I'm so glad that our listeners will be able to hear this yeah. because it's also sort of counterintuitive, right? I mean, when you're, when you're doing things like chemotherapy or I'm guessing radiation, which I never had, you're tired. I mean, you brought this up a few minutes ago. You're tired. You want to lay down. You're nauseous. Mm -hmm. You're not really thinking about oh, I got to get up. I got to walk around. I got to go to a dance class. I got to go on a hike or a bike ride. But if you force yourself to do it, it's really, really good for your body. It's good for your body and it's good for your mind and spirit. Since I was home alone that whole time, my son did come um, a couple of times on the weekend when he was in college, he was able to fly up and visit me a little bit. Uh, but since I was home alone, my only uh, chance to interact with other people was really to go to classes. So I went to a lot of them and I wore a different wig every day. I enjoyed all of the colors. I had a blonde one and I found out that yes, blondes have more fun and <laughs> <laughs> blondes get asked to dance a lot more than brunettes. So, um, so I played with that a little bit and I tried to enjoy the fact that every day I was having a perfect hair day, no matter what color it was. Um, and I could go out and see people and dance with them and that they were there for me in that way. Even if they never said a word, they knew what I was going through. And just that gaze that they would give me of, of compassion and love really bolstered me up. If I had been, maybe if I had been with a family and surrounded by my family while I was going through that, I would not have broken through to going outside in public hmm. and getting my social interaction that way. Right. But so I, in, in some ways, it might, that might have been a blessing yes. in disguise. Yes. Um, although both, you know, having your family there would have been great, of course. Um, yes. What, what advice uh, might you have, if any, for people who are newly diagnosed with a serious illness, cancer, heart disease, or otherwise? Well, I, I would say definitely don't go looking at things on the internet. 
Um, I have a very dear friend who was this week diagnosed with colon cancer and her reaction was to go onto the internet and look for positive outcomes in colon cancer. And those are the stories and the articles she read. And she stayed away from all of the doom and gloom that's out there. So she really, um, I think she brings up a good point. You know, everyone, it's so hard not to look at the inter internet and see what is my cancer about, but to look for the stories that show positive outcomes um, and read the survivor stories. I find that going to the PanCan website and reading my emails that come from them when they do the survivor spotlight, if I'm feeling down, I look at that survivor spotlight and I say, yes, you know, we are thriving and it is possible. And that bolsters me up. Yeah, I agree. I think it's so important to find people who have gone above and beyond who have who are truly living after a, yeah. a devastating diagnosis um so let's let's um finish by talking about what you and i have talked about in our pancan group um changing the narrative for cancer patients yeah talk about that well, I have actually talked to a couple of my doctors about this. I was the MC for the Purple Lights event here in Portland, and the script contained a lot of words like fight, battle, battling cancer, lost the fight. This one's fighting cancer. And every time I hear the words fight or battle, I feel like that's setting up a conflict in my body. I just get tense. I feel my shoulders going up. Um, and I feel like that's an adversarial relationship with my body. So. I have talked to my doctors and told them, you know, I really feel like we should change the dialogue and say, well, I'm working with my, bo my body. I'm working with my team, with my medicine. I'm working uh, together to heal my body. And I feel that words matter and how we speak to our body and how we speak about our illness really matters in, in how we think about it. There's a book by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu where they talk about changing the perspective. And sometimes even in a family, if you change where you sit at the table, all of a sudden you're looking at the other side of your spouse's face. Oh, that's a whole new perspective. And that they recommend getting up and moving to a different spot and seeing how life looks from that perspective. So that's kind of my soapbox. And I know you're on it too, to change that dialogue so that people aren't already exhausted if they get that diagnosis. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of work to be done to heal and have surgery and chemo, but it doesn't need to be a battle and a fight, those words that are so negative. I'm gonna to add to that, which I know you agree with this um, because you're, you're a perfect example of someone who is thriving Thank you. You're thriving. Um, you're not just surviving. Um, and I, I do think we need to change the narrative around that with cancer patients because I surviving isn't good enough. It's not. It's not good enough. It's not. It's really not. You know, I always go back to this and I've spoken about it in our support group meetings. A couple of years ago, Chris Carr, she wrote that book, Crazy Sexy Cancer. Um, she had something called the World Cancer Summit. And one of the speakers 
I don't even remember who it was. One of the speakers talked about the five things you can do to prevent the recurrence of cancer, because that is the question we all ask ourselves. How can we avoid getting it back? How can we keep it away from us? And the five things, one of the first one is to have an adequate support network, a loving and caring support network. The second one is stress reduction. The third is adequate sleep and rest. Uh, the fourth is a healthy diet. And the fifth is exercise. And those are all things that we can all do every day to keep ourselves healthy, whether or not we are dealing with cancer or another diagnosis, but that's really just a recipe for a good life. Uh, so I bring that up a lot because I really feel it needs to be emphasized. I think that's great. And I think that's a great way to end this. Um, it, wonderful words, wonderful advice. I'm going to look up that book from the Dalai Lama. And you said in Desmond Tutu, right? Yes, yes. I'll okay. send you the link. Okay. Thank you, Stephanie, for, well, thank you for, for doing me. this. And I'll see you around on Zoom when, when, we, when we have the next PanCan meeting. Great. Thank you so much. Okay. So long. Bye.